everybody. I'm Zachary King of Warrior King Productions. I'd like to welcome you out to the Zats Film Odyssey podcast, a podcast designed to track my journey into the film industry as I make my way into becoming a filmmaker. Today's episode, if it sounds like writing, I rewrote it. I'm sitting down with my co-writer of the screenplay Long Shots, Matt Corey, who is an author, published author on Amazon. We're going to sit down, we're going to talk about his process, we're going to talk about him, and we're going to see what we can get from this. So thanks for joining us today, Matt. And no problem, Zach. Good to hear from you. Always happy to help as we get our projects rolling right along. Happy to be here. All right. So since you're new to the podcast, why don't you take the time to introduce yourself to the, our listeners, let them know a little about you and how you got to where you are today. Uh, thanks a lot for the, uh, for the buildup right there. Uh, you know, just a regular dude, my man. You know, live mass, born and raised in Massachusetts. Got into the writing game probably late compared to most other people. I didn't really entertain a whole lot of fantasies about doing it until I was about 35-ish. Then I decided that I was halfway through the old life cycle and I needed to get to going. So I uh, put pen to paper for the first time in about 2014. And since then, I've got about four manuscripts and at least a screenplay and a half under my belt. We get the one thing published that we talked about before. Uh, that's up on Amazon. That's Beastly by Matt Corey. And uh, anybody that's interested in checking that out, please, the last name has got the funkiest spelling you're ever going to come across. You know that. Uh, I'll spell it for you people if you don't mind. Uh, that's K-H-O-U-R-I-E. That's uh that's up and running on Amazon in both uh, digital ebooks and uh, print copies. Thanks for the plug. And for anyone who's interested, there will be a link to the Amazon page in the description of this podcast. You can find that on all four of my carriers as well as the website warriorteamproductions.com. So when you come up with an idea, when you get that first string of ideas, how do you get from your one point of idea to a finished story? That, that's that's deep. That that's a that's a haul of a question. I feel like I would probably get at that the same way I would get it right in the book. Really, I break it down into small parts. That idea can hit you guys at any given minute as long as you're open, letting your imagination run. So most of my stuff comes to me driving, taking the elevator at work, stairs at work, babysitting my kid, you know, doing stuff around the house. Sometimes it just comes at you. Usually when that happens to me. I either got to get it down on paper ASAP, like, you know, when we were talking about, uh, you know, things like long shots and whatnot, you get that log line idea. Like you break that entire thing down to how I would pitch that to somebody in like three sentences or less. So I wouldn't have anything necessarily banged out all the way yet, but I would probably come up with that rough concept idea. And then I jump right to the end. I'm trying to imagine how I would put the whole thing to bed and then steadily work backwards from there tried and true method for me. I've never not been able to finish a project if I employ that approach. And a lot of my ideas have come the same way. Now, if we talked about long shots and how that came to be is Matt and I had a, a um, YouTube channel where we were doing his short stories and he had a short story called Rubicon. Well, I took that with an idea I was having as I drove by a water tower and I, all I could see was a sniper position on top of the water tower. I think it has a great place to watch out as people head towards the base I worked on for the last four years. So we kind of took what I was working with and what he had and we combined it and then we took it back three years to where it got to that point. That was, that was a long time in the coming on that project too. The places that it went before it ended up to where it ended up. <laughs> wild ride on that. <laughs> so you're currently working on a project right now. What could you tell us about that one? I'm working on a young adult, I'd call it urban fantasy in the in kind of the model of the Dresden Files. I'm a big Dresden Files fan. I think Jim Butcher is probably a genius. If we could sit him down and talk to him, he'd probably score about 500 on the IQometer. 
So what I wanted to do was take a lot of his core work uh, in terms of different kinds of mythology. He's a big fan of the Irish Celtic Norse stuff. I wanted to branch out and maybe do a little bit more uh, Indian mythology, some more South American-based mythology, African mythology, things like that. But the core concept of the book I'm trying to put out there, currently titled Heretic, is I wanted to do something that's more like the Dresden Files, but set in a world like the Matrix, where the supernatural stuff is happening and the only reason people don't know it's happening is because they've been forcibly separated from being able to perceive it by certain magical elements that kind of unfold and unravel during the story. And you said this is your third or fourth manuscript that you wrote? This will be the fourth manuscript I've written. It'll probably be the second one published if my timetable plays out the way I have it sorted. Uh, manuscripts numbers two and three, uh, they're still very much in a rough development kind of phase, but they are completed. Okay, so going from Project One, which is Beastly, yep. going to finishing your second draft of Heretic, yep. what have you learned along that journey? How much time do you got, my man? <laughs> I feel like that's like separate sections in itself, but I think that the uh, a couple of quick point lessons that I learned along the way is, number one, you got to finish what you start, and that was a big holdup for me when I did Beastly in the first place, is I knew I wanted to write something, but I wasn't sure lacking like the formal education and like with a creative writing degree that I'd ever be able to get it done. So the first lesson I had to learn is just you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, man. You know, you got to throw pages down every day religiously. It sometimes is going to hurt. It's going to, it's going to suck looking at a blank screen. Your back's going to hurt riding the chair for a couple hours. But the one thing I've learned then is progressive incremental baby steps. That would be the best way I would think of it. Sooner or later, you're going to get to that word goal and it'll all sooner or later, it will be done. You'll get there and you won't realize that it happened, but it'll get there. And the difference between that and where I'm at now with Heretic is, you know, now when I get that idea that we were talking about earlier, the minute I get that idea, if it's something I want to pursue, I sit down and punch out the word count goal right away. I'm going to put myself on like a 1,500 word a day diet. Got to get 1,500 done before bedtime, no matter how long it takes in the day. And then you just punch that out to your total page count or word count, and then every day you're accountable. Boom, 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 1,500 a day. I think it was on manuscript three. I managed, I think it was a 415 page draft. Uh, I think I punched it out in 68 days, working full time. You know, you know, I work at the hospital. We've talked about that, but it can be done. And the point of that is you just got to stay on like a time frame. That's my biggest, uh, that'd be my biggest tip. Stay on target. Yeah. Yep. And you brought up uh, working at the hospital. You two are dual vocational as most of us who are just yeah. starting out, who aren't household <laughs> names just yet. Yes, sir. <laughs> how much challenge does that put on your creative or does it help your creative? And then how much does it hurt your working on your projects? Yeah, you, you nailed it, man. It, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, I think a lot of us, like you and I, we're, we're both getting up there in the age. You know, we're not uh, 20, we're not 15, we're not 25, even 30, man, you know? Like we're getting up there. So for us, it's, like, I'd like to look back and say to myself, you know, maybe I could have done the starving artist thing and then put in 16 hours of writing a day and, you know, bus tables, something like that. But I wasn't willing to live hard like that. Like I had to get a full-time job and be comfortable. So with that, having, having said that, you know, I, I do like my hospital job. I love working in the nursing field. I do love helping people. But doing the 8 to 12s, uh, 8 to 12 hour shifts cuts into your time. You know, like you said, man, I don't get to sit at my desk most days during the week for five, six, seven hours and be really productive. And since I got a kid rolling around the house, thumping around the floor upstairs, now that cuts into it you know, a little bit more too. Uh, so it has to, I have to focus my time. That's what it comes down to is that if I get a two hour block where 
the kids are out or, you know, even smaller blocks, like if they're out for an hour or even a smaller block, if I'm on like a 30 minute lunch at work, like I'll grab my phone, utilize a couple of apps and I'll stay productive around the clock. That'd be tip number two, productivity around the clock, stuck in traffic, paragraph on the phone, you know, elevator trip, get that log line down, stuff like that. You got to take the time where you can get it. You just, you can't rest. You can't quit. Yeah, very true. Very true. I have uh, used the voice recorder on my phone before I was doing all my side hustles I have now. I drove Uber way back in the day and I had a lot of time in between rides where I would just hit that voice recorder and start recording stuff. Because yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, this started for me is around the same time he started, which was kind of shocking because we didn't really, we're talking, you know, Facebook wasn't that big yet. And, I'm yeah. like, and I hit him up. I'm like, hey, I'm writing this idea that I have out. He's like, that's cool. I'm writing my book. It kind of like at the same time. We've kind of, and then we Small jumped around the world. <laughs> yeah. And then we jumped in the screenwriting thing together. So now what you guys don't know about me and Matt is me and Matt has been friends since 1992, since yeah. <laughs> eighth grade. Yep. So way back. And I don't think either one of us had a clue that uh, anything like writing or screenwriting was probably a thing way back then. Other than we liked that, you know, we like nerd books and nerd movies and that kind of stuff. But I had no intention to ever write in a book when I was 16, 17 years old. I think we both still had our MBA tweered lined up in our head. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I probably still have some of those jerseys laying around. They're about nine sizes too small now though. You know, that was, uh, I can't think of anything that I put down seriously on paper back then. Man, did you ever put anything down back then? I wrote one story, but it was pretty much documenting my journey through playing the very first Final Fantasy game. And I wrote from their perspective mm. as I played the game. But I was also young and it made no sense. And <laughs> Story structure wasn't quite a thing yet. Yeah. Being in the uh, writing world, how hard has it been for you to get published? And like, how did you get your book on Amazon for someone who would like to get their ideas and their creative material out there. Yeah, you know, it's, it's daunting, man. That's, that's the one thing. If you're coming at that with that first great idea that, you know, that, that million dollar idea to you that you think is going to burn the world down, it's, uh, it's tough when you get into the, into the realization that it's not as easy as, you know, you upload a drag and drop file and hit send and then all of a sudden like the bank notes start rolling in. Like that, it just doesn't work that way. And I think a lot of people catch a, a bunch of disappointment when they assume that once the big story's done, even if it's just the first draft, that the minute they hit send, like, you know, JK rolling money is just going to start pouring into their mailbox. And it's, it doesn't work like that at all. Part of what I had to learn back through Beastly, you know, a gazillion, it feels like a gazillion years ago, is that you got to learn the business side of it too. And for a lot of creative types, and I put myself right there, that sucks. Like, I don't want to think about numbers. I didn't want to think about formats or anything else. I wanted to think about this story, the next story, the next story, the next franchise and everything else. Uh, what I can tell people in retrospect about Amazon is consider all of your options. There are a bunch out there that aren't Amazon. There are things on there that are beyond, uh, you know, Amazon and Kindle readers. You know, you can always, you know, list stuff on iTunes. You've got things like Wattpad. There are other things like Smashwords. There's other places you can publish your work. And while they may not have the broadest net to offer that uh, Amazon can give you in terms of searchability, those are other places that are dedicated to you know, books. And in a lot of cases, like with Wattpad and Smashwords, a couple of other ones, they're dedicated to like the indie scene. So like if you develop a following you know, through your blog space, your social media accounts, you might be better off listing with somewhere like that because you get paid directly to the best of my knowledge. And there's nobody to take a cut out of you at that point. 
But I mean, in terms of getting rolling, you should probably expect to put in six, eight, maybe 10 hours doing your due diligence and just reading up on Amazon policies. If that's where you want, if that's where you wanted to go, um, that way you're not surprised when things don't happen the way you think they should happen. Oh, you know, be aware, buyer beware. You know, that's what I would say about that. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. It was a harsh reality, man. Cause I thought that the minute <laughs> I typed the end, that like, you know, I was moving out of my ratty bedroom apartment in Worcester, you know, with my bad heat and my crappy windows and my on street park. And like, I was moving into the governor's mansion and it's like, yeah, it doesn't happen like that. It it does. There's other things that you should that you should know about before you even maybe even before you write down that idea. You know, like a lot of people put a lot of weight into having the social media stuff up and running, to having that blog space up and running. That way you can build a following, you know, and string people along with like sample chapters and giveaways and things before you even decide you want to sell something. You know, because then you get the built-in audience. That you know, that's legit tip number two right there. You know, promote the book before you're done the book. Don't wait until you're done and then promote. You just put yourself a couple of years behind doing that. Very true. Very true. That's uh, one, of the one of the reasons that this podcast exists is to start promoting my work before I actually have a body of work. This has got to get known before anything else. And if you're uh, supporting other people in the field, you know, like before you, before you even start writing, uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a school of thought out there that says that Amazon can be Cheated's the wrong word because that, that, that's dirty, but it's like it, it can be interpreted in such a way that you can benefit from their algorithms and knowing which genres are the hottest. And I guess that's not really cheating. It's doing it's market research, really. What I can definitely tell anybody that's interested in, in publishing is that a lot of us write what we like to read. I mean, for obvious reasons, like we enjoy that process. The problem with that is, is if you write inside a couple of the most popular genres, uh, romance and fantasy, you're jumping face first into a really, really, really overcrowded. So, you know, your next generation werewolf and space book might be great. It might be the best damn book ever written. But the way Amazon's going to treat a project that has werewolves and, you know, sci-fi and, and just other common uh, themes, you're going to get buried in the, uh, you're going to bury in the shirts in the uh, search results. Unless you've got a built-in audience that's going to like flood that particular book item with 2,500 reviews at launch. You know, so it's romance and fantasy are way oversaturated. Give Chris Fox, I think I've mentioned him to you before on the uh, the, lit R, the RPG lit or lit RPG or whatever. Amazing guy, great YouTube channel. I would definitely look him up. He's got several, several short videos, six to eight minutes long. that'll really break down the nuts and bolts of how Amazon works. And, and his prime takeaway from that was that if you can find yourself a genre that you enjoy writing in, that you don't necessarily that you hadn't read a whole lot of yet, you can kind of play to the numbers and see which genre isn't oversaturated, but has a ton of potential for growth. And the one, and actually you'll like this, the one he really identifies is military sci-fi. It's way <laughs> underrepresented on, on Amazon in the face of vampires and fairies and werewolves and historical fictions and straight up military, you know, like sim shooter kind of books. So he kind of, that's kind of how he got his jump off spot is he wrote a couple of trilogies in that genre even though it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to do, but he parlayed the success and the audience building from a couple of those trilogies into the more fantasy-based stuff that, uh, that he wanted to write. I think there's a lot of good advice in, uh, in Chris Fox's videos. I would check those out, definitely. Check out his books, too. They're pretty entertaining. Easy reads. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, how much has social media played into your success and your writing? Social media is one of those things that if you're good at it, 
gives you a big leg up on everybody else. It really does. I've seen people that have broken into the game on Instagram and Twitter with would be considered by their standards pretty small followings. But after careful consideration of the content that they generate over time, they've built up pretty major followings without having had any major books, novellas, screenplays, or anything behind them. For me personally, one of the tough things in getting that up and running was just knowing that I had something to offer. That even though on Twitter, you know, everybody starts with the, with the, egg, uh, the egg picture and the big zero for followers, if you stay consistent, you stay helpful, you stay polite, you stay accommodating, uh, other people follow you back without having it be one of those little follow for follow kind of cheap hashtag kind of arrangements. So I think I'm over 5,000 now. And there's a, a solid number of those 5K that I probably talk to, you know, once a month, once every couple months to keep up on their projects, you know, so it, it's working. Uh, it just takes time. And that's the problem. I think a lot of people get discouraged when the results aren't immediate and they bail. And, you know, that, that's sad because I think there's a lot of great content out there that we're never going to get to read or see or play or whatever because people didn't want to stick out the not fun parts. Me and my 152 followers <laughs> are strong. Which I, of which I am one, my brother. Of which I am one. <laughs> so now we're going to switch over. <laughs> so yeah. I just want to say real quick, that's what I mean, though. You give me 150 Zach Kings on my follower list, it means more than 3,500 dead profiles that don't share, that don't like, that don't comment, that don't mention me in their YouTube videos or their Instagram pages, their Facebook group pages, you know? So that's why whenever I see somebody that's got a follower count that's 20, 30, 100,000, I say to myself, first, how many did you buy? Because I think that's <laughs> the saddest scene when somebody's uh, selling, you know, thousands of profile uh, followers on whatever platform. And the other, you know, obviously, how many people these do you actually talk to or collaborate with or keep in touch with or support? So, you know, I'd, I'd take the lower count if it was a quantity over a quality game. That'd be one thing, but it's not. It's quality. It's all quality. Yeah. And my big focus here recently because of being a, in the video realm has been Instagram over Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little tired of Twitter and how political it's getting. It's like, if you don't say anything political, no one says anything back to you. And I'm not about that. Dude, I hear that, man. I've noticed the exact same thing between my two channels. My Instagram following is nothing. But even when I'm scrolling the wall, I see about a thousand percent less politically affiliated anything on Instagram. And it just overall, it's, it's a better positive space to be in, I think. I think Twitter has its usefulness because it is fairly prolific. And there are just, I mean, every product under the sun has a hashtag and a handle. I think Instagram is where, where really, as a creator of any kind of content, you probably want to spend more time over there. It just seems like uh, my blood pressure doesn't go up as high when I get off right. Instagram. So as we uh, go on, we're going to switch gears. And we're going to move into screenplays. Let's do as it. You know that he's, he's helped me on my screenplay. We've collaborated. We've had many uh, phone conversations as we hammered the story out. What did you notice first when you switched over and started helping me with the screenplay, the difference between writing a book and write in a screenplay? Well, ain't that the 64 gajillion dollar question? <laughs> now, let me tell you right now, the first thing I noticed was how horribly inept and unprepared for that shift I was. There's no way to see that coming. 
And the reason is, man, it's not even that it's not apples and oranges, man. It's not that it's not PlayStation and Xbox. It's like Xbox and like an aircraft carrier or something. It's two <laughs> different worlds. The languages are like infinitely different. And that's, you know, I'm grateful that you pointed that out on several occasions. You know, when you're throwing down the manuscript for a screenplay, you're not in there to describe setting you know, to 16 different lines or anything like that. You're not in there to costume the people that are actually populating those scenes. Like you're there to direct traffic and like just get the bare bones of a story down so other people can color inside those lines and put together that final product. I mean, the story idea is yours, but really nobody needed to know, you know, how that person's hair was cut or styled and, you know, somebody's hair was dangling ominously in front of their eyes, all that nonsense. Didn't need it. It was dead space. And that's why I think that the, uh, it's probably my fault that first draft was so bloated compared to what it is. Also, we put in, I put in three scenes to help build tension between a character. And then I decided, well, we're just going to kill him off. Back in <laughs> yeah, he needed a bullet though. So it worked out pretty good for everybody. But that was definitely the difference was just knowing that what could be your strengths for one type of content creation, you know, in terms of like novels and the written word like that could be a, a major liability coming into somebody else's project even. Um, and knowing when to keep your mouth shut, not add 30 words where five words would do the trick. So as you play in both pools, screenplay and novel writing, have you thought about or started to consider adapting a novel into a screenplay? It's funny you mentioned that. A lot of people that read Beastly when I released it said that it was written in a way that kind of captured the spirit of both mediums. And I was, I was pretty proud of that when a, a couple of different people um, that had no connection to each other, thank God, said, gave me that same compliment. So I was digging that for, a, like, you know, riding around on my high horse for a while. It, was, it felt good. But a lot of people said that capturing the visual essence of a scene and making the audience feel like they're in there is something that I got across in a couple of really tight action sequences in that first book. But then they said, you know, my narrative ability with describing what's going on within people to getting you to feel and to suffer along with these custom, uh, customers uh, with these characters, that way you could triumph with them at the end. You know, that was also something that they really enjoyed. So I think that I probably down the line could add up something of my own. A couple of people that have done some alpha reads on Heretic have mentioned that it may, that it may have some screen potential for that kind of thing because it doesn't necessarily bog down 100% of the time with the special effects kind of stuff. Like there is some, the main character goes through a lot to get where he is. So I think a lot of people might be interested in following along with that. There's elements of uh, family loss, the loss of a child, loss of um, direct family members, mentors, that kind of stuff. The stuff, the tropey stuff that we like about that genre. You know, when you lose that person, you lose a little bit of who you are and what defined you. And I think that's something everybody obviously gets. So I'd put that up on a silver screen and I think it'd do okay. All right. There's one thing that's uh, been going through my head here recently is to try to do that just to start getting some content out there. And like you love the Dresden Files, one of my big ones is Michael Sullivan's uh, The Raiera Chronicles and The Raiera Revelation. And the opening scene in the very first book, I want to make that scene because it is it's action and it's hilarious at the same time and yeah, that was a tight scene that's, i've made it a few chapters past that so far but that was pretty good the, the banter was good <laughs> and it, michael sullivan actually he influenced on how i was writing the two characters in our screenplay on their banter back and forth yeah. oh when they're, when they're posted up on the hill at the, the very beginning kind of stuff yeah it, yeah i could see that i could see that definitely all right. Well, we've been talking here for a little while, so we're going to start wrapping this up. So before we take off, if you had one thing to leave the audience with, 
what would it be and how can they contact you or start following you? I'll get the, the cheap plug out of the way first. Uh, it's at Matt Corey. It's my name. It's at M-A-T-T-K-H-O-U-R-I-E. I try to hang on to that name across most platforms. If you type it in on Twitter, or Instagram, they usually, they usually will find you. I think Beastly is still my cover image for that stuff um, while we get the new website up and running still. Parting thoughts to leave with people. That's tough. There's, you know, there's a lot that you'd want to tell people to, you know, technically, like we were talking about a couple minutes ago, you know, off, um, off the feed. All that technical stuff doesn't matter if you're not sold on you telling the best story you can tell. So when you sit down at that desk, the story that you want to come out has to be the, the story that only you can tell. It needs to be the thing that you would want to read most or the, the movie you would want to see most. Yeah, beyond that, I would say you just got to, you got to put in the work. There's no easy way. I wish I could tell you different, man. I wish I could. One foot in front of the other. It's however many words a day you can put down every day until you're done. You know, if you quit on yourself, you're quitting on yourself, man. That's it. Everybody else is going to move on to the next thing without you and leave you. You may as well see what you can get out of yourself. You know, don't shortchange nothing. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'd like to thank Matt Corey for taking time out of his busy day. He could be writing right now, but he took time to talk to us. <laughs> he took some time to put out some nuggets of knowledge that we could all use in our writing because as a director writer, I am writing all the time. As a writer, he's writing all the time. And to become a creator, there's going to be a part where you're going to write. Even if you're a cinematographer, you're going to write because you have to write out your shot list. You're going to write out feelings. And you're going to have to know what we're writing to how you're going to capture it in that frame. Once again, I'd like to thank you for taking your time and listening to our podcast. You know, you can always follow us on social media as Matt put out his and mine. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Warrior Team Productions is on Facebook. Keep up with us. More information coming out on Longshot soon. And until next time, remember, chase your dreams and reach for the stars. And I'll see y'all next week.